Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hour two of the program. We're going to go inside NFL training camp a couple of times. Go to Cincinnati, talk about the Bengals. They're back to being the Bungles. They should be one of the worst teams in the National Football League this year, I would think. Yeah, when I say that, it's bottom bottom quarter of the league. I don't know if they're going to be there with a team like, look, I think Arizona's going to be bad. I'm not buying this Cliff Kingsbury project. Also, we're going to go to Los Angeles. Hard Knocks, another episode airing right now. We'll talk about that. Well, we'll talk more about Raiders camp. What's going on there with Antonio Brown, Helmet Gate, John Gruden. Yeah, probably a little hard knocks too. That comes your way at about 40 after the hour. What a mess the Oakland Raiders are. Lots of Saints and NFL talk this hour and open lines the entire hour for you at 504-260-1870. Our text line is 870-870. Saints heading to Los Angeles tomorrow. It's going to be fun. We've talked a lot about that the last couple of days. I don't really have a lot to add about that other than I wish I was going. How fun would it be to get out of this heat and humidity and go to the West Coast where uh, no humidity, a little bit of heat, so go watch Saints play, go watch Saints practice a couple of days. Yes, Steve Geller, I'm looking at you. I'm a little jealous. Our sideline reporter and buddy here in the sports department who is heading out with Zach Streif and Deuce McAllister to Los Angeles. I'm really interested to watch what happens in practice on Thursday and Friday, more so than the game, but I don't have my eyes there. I'll have my eyes on the game, so I guess that's the difference. The NFL, though, I've been thinking about this the last, I don't know, two, three weeks, how Teflon the NFL is. Remember these storylines? Uh, this time of year, the last two to three years that we've had about ratings, about anthem protests. Well, it wasn't anthem protest. It was social justice protests during the national anthem. And everybody was going to boycott the league. The, the television ratings were supposed to nosedive. The NFL was supposed to be in big time trouble. You had the XFL pop up. And the other very short-lived league that popped up. Well, the NFL right now is in as good of a place as it's been, maybe ever. Is anybody really boycotting the NFL anymore over those social justice protests that happened a couple of seasons ago? I would dare you to find a single person who is still not watching the NFL because of that. I don't know one. I do this for a living. I haven't found one. Is anybody in Saints Nation really going to boycott the NFL over that no call for as upset and mad as we all were? And I maintain that I was as raving mad as anybody here on the air. I had to temper myself a little bit, and we were doing these shows for the week, week and a half afterwards. I was livid at the league and the NFL. I thought it was an injustice that surpassed almost any other injustice on the field in sports history. Everybody's still going to be watching this league. What about Tyree Kill and the absolute gross mess that he's been in with his infant child and his girlfriend 
the abuse allegations for both his girlfriend and, of course, his kid. That hasn't tarnished the league, and that's just another one in a long line of, of these kind of messes. Patriots winning again, their dominance that continued. That hasn't dampened the league at all. The league's Teflon. It's just as Teflon as it was, it seems in my mind, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe more than ever. Television ratings were up last season, not down. They were up. And that doesn't even include all the new viewership that they're getting from new ways to view. They had this partnership with Twitter and online. I think it's now it's to Amazon with Thursday Night Football and all of those eyeballs and all the viewers that they're losing to these pirated streams that you get on Reddit and those sorts of sites. Yeah, it's look, Roger Goodell was paid to do one thing, is protect the shield. I have a lot of problems with what Roger Goodell has done and how he's handled his tenure and the almost absolute power that he's been given. But he's done one thing, and that's protect the NFL and their image better than maybe any other league. The NBA has problems right now from a fan perspective with player movement, star movement, and it seems like only the major markets on the coast are really able to sustain success. Adam Silver is talking openly about that and how to prevent that conglomeration of talent in New York and L.A. and California and helping middle America. He, he, I just saw him do an interview about that today. Hockey is still recovering from their strike. They're not even on a major network anymore, and I'm talking about your Stanley Cup finals. Major League Baseball is in a crisis with their regional sport networks, their ratings, and certainly interest with fans under the age of 40. Big-time problems everywhere. College football right now, in here where we are, yes, we pay attention to it every single day. Tim Brando's talked about this at length, especially on Twitter, how you go outside of Louisiana and Alabama and the South here, they're not even leading national news shows. National sports programming, sports talk shows, website, college football's kind of having a problem with, I don't know, relevancy is the right word, but certainly momentum and hype this time of season, which they never used used to have. Yeah, the NFL has brushed things off that no other league in the world, except maybe the Premier League and FIFA with all the scandals that they've had, is able to do. It's, it's kind of amazing to watch. It really is. Here's a text from the 504. Have two first cousins still boycotting? Okay, there you go. That's like, I haven't heard anybody. You said you got two first cousins still boycotting? Are they boycotting over – I'm a curious, 504. Text me back. Are they boycotting over the no call or are they boycotting over the, the social justice protest from a couple of years ago? I mean, remember, remember that? Remember we spent – I know Christian Garrick and I used to do this show uh, two and a half years ago now, two years ago now. It's called Double Coverage then. And we spent – gosh – two months almost every day talking about that and taking call and passionate call after passionate calls people saying i am over the nfl i will never watch it again i would venture a guess that almost all of those people are watching and paying attention and wearing gear right now which is good i don't have a problem with that you're allowed to change your mind but yeah that's how fast things change we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to go inside nfl training camp we'll go out to cincinnati Ben Baby, yeah, that's his name. Ben Baby's going to join us 
talk a little Bengals. It's the last lap on WWL. Well, every day here on the show, we're going around the NFL, taking a look at training camp and the progress for all 32 NFL teams today. A little double dip. First up, Cincinnati. Cincinnati up first, Ben Baby, who covers the Bengals for ESPN's NFL Nation, and he's on Twitter, at Ben underscore Baby. Ben, what's going on tonight? Hey, nothing much. How are you doing? Look, I'm, I'm doing great. How's things up there in Cincinnati? Uh, it's good. I, uh, I I just moved here from Texas, and my, my friends are telling me it's been like 106 uh, or something out there today. I got it to a nice 87, so I cannot complain one bit. I'm enjoying the weather here. There you go. I'm sure, and I'm, 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 sure I'm going to pay for it in the winter, but right now I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And by the way, you're you're the, the heir, you're the successor to Cat Terrell, who came back down here to New Orleans, who was on that beat for a while. So uh, take good care of it for us, all right? I definitely will. I think Dallas gets a person and a player to be named uh, later in a three six trade. So, <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see who's coming down the pipe from the world of the Dallas. I like. So. I like this, man. I like it. Uh, Zach Taylor uh, era has started here. He's replacing the all time winningest coach uh, for the Bengals, of course, Marvin Lewis. But like everybody knows, never won a playoff game in those seven playoff appearances. How's Taylor's uh, era and the regime started up there? You know, it's it's been interesting because they. They, they didn't make a ton of it. And the Bengals, you know, from what I've gathered, are really known for making big splashes in, in free agency. And so they, they really build through the draft. And, and right now, um, you're wondering, what, what does Taylor have? And I think we're going to find out what, what Andy Dalton's got left in the tank, how much A.J. Green has left, um, if he can stay on the field. Um, you know, the same for Tyler Eifert. Um, and then kind of that defense, you know, I think Geno Atkins, everybody knows what you're going to get with him. But Carlos Dunlap is uh, getting up there in age and, and uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, I think uh, the, the players like Zach and kind of how laid back he is, you know, a guy who, who learned under Sean McVay and, and kind of is a, I would very much say a player's coach. But, um, you know, right now I think the biggest question that I have is is what does he have to work with and, and will it fit, um, will the personnel fit the scheme that he wants to run and, you know, how, how will that look uh, when the season actually starts? So uh, what does he have in Andy Dalton? It, it's kind of amazing to think Dalton now, kind of a grizzled vet, going to be 32 this season, and it's kind of amazing to me. I don't know. Maybe that just means I'm old, uh, Ben. But what what does he have in Andy Dalton here? Is the fan base still behind uh, the Red Rocket? You know, I, I, that's, I think it's, uh, people are probably a little mixed. I think it's too early for me to probably say, one way or another, make any many strong statements on, on how they feel about Andy. But, you know, Andy's been, you know, fairly consistent throughout his year, uh, throughout his career. You know, I don't think he's ever been, you know, exceptional by, by any means. You know, I think the big knock on him is that he doesn't play well in, in primetime games. And, and, you know, that's something that the, that the fans would probably want to see better uh, out of him. But, you know, Zach is a, is a guy who's worked for the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, I, it's interesting now. You know, I asked Andy uh, today, you know, is there a big difference now that you're getting basically the play calls, all the instruction from the head coach, uh, instead of, you know, because, you know, Marvin Lewis was a defensive guy. So, you know, I wonder how that's going to, you know, change kind of the philosophy on, on the team and how it's built and all of that. So, you know, I, I think Andy, you know, he's he's had some rough moments in camp, but he has made some nice throws. And I think that, you know, he's still got, he's still got the arm strength. He's still – you know, making the right reads. I think that he still has enough left in the tank that if he, if they have the right piece around him, if A.J. Green's healthy, if Joe Mixon plays as well as people think he might, I think that the offense should be able to produce uh, enough for them to be in games this season. Oh, well, you had this, the Bengals had, I should say. You didn't. The Bengals had their free season opener against the Kansas City Chiefs, 38-17 loss. What can you take away from that? Um, you know, they, they just look pretty sloppy. You know, you had a ton of penalties, some some, some turnovers, uh, some special teams miscues. Uh, you know, right now I think the two big question marks on this team are how is this offensive line going to look 
and can the defense be better? Um, and, you know, both of those units do not look particularly well. Um, and, you know, they, they kind of lack depth at both of those spots as well. So, you know, that's what I'm this, – uh, this week's game against Washington, that's what I want to see is can this offensive line block better? Um, can the tackles play better? Um, you know, is, has new offensive line coach Jim Turner uh, found the right mix of who he wants up there? Um, you know, it's been fascinating. First-round pick Billy Price has been running with the twos. Um, you know, Turner's trying to figure out what, what best five work, and Price is still coming off injury, so I don't know if that has anything to do with, with the rotation. But, you know, I think that's something to watch. And this defense, under Lou Anarumo, who's never never been a full-time coordinator, this is kind of his first in at that. And so, you know, how does he adapt to that? How does the defense adapt to him? Um, you know, it's all kind of fascinating. Uh, you know, these are all fascinating questions if, if you uh, going into this year. Talking to Ben Baby, who covers the Bengals for ESPN's NFL Nation as we go inside NFL training camp. We're in Cincinnati here. Far start of the hour, we'll go to Oakland in just a little bit. A.J. Green suffered this in- injury late July. What, six to eight weeks was the recovery time? Going to miss the start of the season. He's still on that timetable to return sometime this season. How does Green look? You know, right now, I think, um, you know, every time we've seen him, he's kind of peeked his head in the locker room and seen his reporters are there. And if he is, he's kind of found a way way to (laughs) duck out. You know, I don't blame him because, I mean, you got to really feel bad for A.J. Green. I mean, he, he, you know, had injuries, um, you know, had had a toe injury last year, uh, missed, uh, I believe, seven games. Really, you could say eight because I think he only had one catch in one game and then re-injured. Um, re-aggravated the foot injury um, you know in the in the day before he he um, had his current ankle injury he had just talked about how he felt 100 percent how excited he was to get back on the field and then you know you're you know you go through what should be an easy day at the first day of camp and all of a sudden now you're, you're looking at another big setback so um, you know this is going to be a big year for him he's entering a contract year you know that was going to be the primary you know topic topic of conversation going into the preseason before um, you know all this stuff happened uh, but, you know, I think everyone is still, you know, uh, Zach Taylor's still confident that, that Green can be the the, the uh, receiver that, that everyone knows he, he, can, he can be and has been since he's been in the league. Um, you know, right now he's still on the uh, on that push scooter, so, he, you know, the foot's still in a protective boot. I imagine that's not going to change, you know, in the, in the immediate future. You know, I think right now the team's probably optimistic that he comes back at the early part of the season and doesn't miss too many games. I think – He'll he'll pro- I think the betting odds that he'll at least miss the first two games, uh, and then after that, I think hopefully they're just gonna hope he recovers quickly and that um, he'll be able to get up to speed. That he'll he'll be uh, be able to be of use to Andy Dalton in the offense for for most part of the season. Early and middle part of this decade, it was. Uh rare to see the Bengals not at least relevant late in the season and into the playoffs. Now that's kind of dissipated the last three years, three straight losing seasons. Caught my eye, uh, Ben, that CBS Sports had five bold predictions for this year. I think it was yesterday or maybe it was today. John Breach, the great NFL writer, actually believes the Bengals might threaten for that AFC North championship and surprise everybody. I always like to ask about expectations here. What are the expectations for Cincinnati? Are they that high in terms and how do they kind of jive with fan expectations? You know, that's uh, that's interesting because I, had, I hadn't seen that. It's the first time I've heard of that. Um, you know, I, I could see the argument for that because everyone is expecting Cleveland to come out and just blow the doors off everyone. But it is a pretty wide-open division. You know, uh, the you know, Steelers, you know, haven't looked exceptional the last few years. Uh, Baltimore's Baltimore. And, and, you know, Cleveland, you know, they, they obviously got a lot of young, promising talent. Uh, on that roster, but you know they're they, they're they're going to have a first year full time coach and Freddie Kitchens and and you know you you don't they're still an unknown commodity. So you know there's a there's a scenario where you could see the Bengals if everything falls the right way 
um, where, where they, they make a push to, to potentially win the division. I could see that. However, um, I think the expectations are that, you know, that, that they will not probably do that. I think that the betting odds are that, you know, frankly, they might be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. Um, you know, so I think it really depends on, you know, how how the offense gels um, and, and kind of picks up the scheme under, under Zach Taylor. Really, defensively, that, I think this is the big question that really doesn't get talked about a lot. Is is can they be be better? Uh, you know, the linebackers I think need to be a lot better. You know, now that you know Devontae's perfect is not on the team. You know, what does that do? Uh, what kind of you know good and bad uh, for the defense? But um, you know, I think last year they just they couldn't get off the field on third down. Uh, just gave up too many yards per play. I think those things have to improve. And then on the flip side, you know, at least this year you're going to have, you know, you know, knock on wood, a healthy Andy Dalton that you didn't have for all of last year. Um, A.J. Green should be healthy towards the back half of the year. Um, and, and, you know, if Joe Mixon plays well, Tyler Boyd steps up. Um, there's a, they, they might be able to weather the first few weeks. But, you know, right now I, I think that the expectations are that this isn't going to be a playoff team and, and you're going to have to wait and see, um, you know, how this, you know, what where they fall in terms of where they're going to build for the draft and, and how they're going to approach the draft. But, yeah, I, I would say the expectations are, by and large, that this won't be a playoff team this year. He's been baby at Ben underscore baby on Twitter, Bengals reporter for ESPN's NFL Nation. Ben, appreciate the chat, man. Enjoy camp. Right, thank you. Appreciate that. All right. And we'll see how this Zach Taylor era goes. Remember, this is a team that gave Marvin Lewis 16 seasons. 16 seasons he was the head coach in Cincinnati. Now, if he doesn't win playoff games in this era, especially coming off the Marvin Lewis era, Taylor's not going to get 16 seasons. But you see the patience there from Mike Brown, the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals, where he's going to give Taylor every single opportunity to, to succeed. I don't know if I'm with John Breach and thinking that this Bengals team is going to be a 500 or better club and maybe compete for the AFC North title. This was part of his bold predictions article that he does for every single team across the NFL. I don't know if I'm going there. Like I said, I think they're going to be one of the one of the worst teams in the NFL. But I want to pay attention to Cincinnati because there's a lot of talent there. they got a franchise quarterback. I don't think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but a guy that you can build around. they got a good running back in Joe Mixon, off the field issues notwithstanding. See what happens in Cincinnati. Never know. AFC North's always wild. We'll take a break. Back talking a little Raiders and more NFL on the last lap. Watching a little LSU Alabama highlight on the tube over my left shoulder. That gets me pumped up for the college football season. Just a few weeks away. Not talking LSU. We're talking NFL and pro football here this hour. Dieter Kurtenbach covers the Raiders. He'll be joining us in 10 minutes or so. What a mess the Oakland soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders have been over the last season, season and a half. I told this story yesterday, and if you listen to the show for quite a while, you might have heard me before defend John Gruden's trading of Khalil Mack as not something I would have done, but at least if, if, if their whole strategy going into the Gruden era was, let's blow everything up, get rid of all these high-priced veterans, load up with draft picks, new era, new assets, we come in and we reload in Las Vegas. Blow everything. I, I would get that. I would get that. Not necessarily I would have traded somebody with max talent, but I kind of would get the philosophy. Well, that goes out of the window when you sign somebody like uh, Antonio Brown, who was a locker room malfeasance in Pittsburgh, and he has been an off-the-field eyesore in Oakland. And, of course, Oakland 
on Hard Knocks. I, I said last week it was something that I'm. I, it seemed like the first episode was lacking the juice that like the, the Cleveland Browns last year had. I think Texans have been on there before. Just seemed a little subpar. I got to tell you, I, I've changed my mind. In one week, I've changed my mind, especially when I had a chance to go back and watch that episode again. This is kind of like driving along on the freeway, and you see this really ugly crash, and everybody slows down, and what do they do? Rubberneck, and they look over. It's because humanity, we like to have an outside view of a mess and a, a despicable situation and kind of see and, and kind of look from the outside looking in what, what exactly is going on there. This Raiders mess is that car crash. It, it's it's ugly. It's nasty. It's gross from an NFL perspective, but we can't t- keep our eyes off it. We cannot keep the Raiders and John Gruden and Antonio Brown out of headlines or off of radio shows. So Antonio Brown, he had helmet gate this last week. I think it was Friday when he threatened, no, I'm just going to retire. If I can't wear my helmet, which was outlawed by the NFL, and he knew it a couple of years ago that his helmet was going to be outlawed. And then all of a sudden on Friday, he's like, well, I'm not going to show up to training camp. I'm just going to retire if I don't get my helmet. Well, he lost his arbitration. We told you yesterday. And he says, well, I'm actually going to play. I'm actually going to play. But I can't actually play because I've got frostbite on my feet because I went in a cryo chamber of my own volition trying to get healthy and hurt my feet. So I can't get out there, I can't play, but thanks for all the prayers and thoughts about me, but I'll be back there, Raiders Nation. So Antonio Brown is back. He actually spoke to the media today. I found this very interesting that Antonio Brown, one of the first things he said in that press conference, I'm not making excuses? What? I don't know how somebody with a straight face, how Antonio Brown with a straight face goes in and talks to the media there and says, I'm not making excuses a few days after he threatened to retire from the NFL because he wasn't allowed to wear a helmet that is uncertified and possibly unsafe and how he's not making excuses, but every time he gets in front of a microphone or on his social media or anytime he's mic'd up on hard knocks, it seems like he's talking about his feet and how they're hurt. Let's play that again. But again, apparently Antonio Brown, uh, I'm not making excuses. I'm sorry. And I get that this guy was an undrafted guy who has built himself up into a fringe Hall of Fame career. If he he plays another handful of years and he had the numbers like he did in Pittsburgh, this guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I get all that. His talent is undeniable. But I want him nowhere near one of my franchises. Talks about the distractions. That's self-created distractions. Give me a break here. I guess he did say he's feeling better, though. Feeling better about the helmet? I don't know. Is his feet feeling better? This is what he said. Adversity. Again, this is self-created adversity by Antonio Brown. Look, from from a radio show perspective, from a sports media perspective, this would be absolute gold if he was here in New Orleans. But you want to know the difference between... Michael Thomas and Antonio Brown and why the Saints were comfortable giving Michael Thomas $20 million a year, making him the highest paid receiver in the league. It's the separation off the field in the locker room that Michael Thomas has with a malfeasance like Antonio Brown. Thank goodness from a Saints perspective, Thomas is here and Brown is there. Now, speaking of there, 
We will head out to Oakland Raiders training camp. We will talk to Dieter Kirkenbach when we come back. Yeah, hard knock style here on the last lap next. Well, it's hard knocks night, so what a better day to continue our inside NFL training camp series by talking a little Raiders. Joining us is Dieter Kirtenbach at Dieter on Twitter, covers the Raiders for Bay Area News Group, Mercury News, and the East Bay Times. Uh, Dieter, what's going on? So much. It is hard knocks night, which means that uh, I get a little extracurricular activity in every. every <laughs> I'm, yet, I'm yet to wa- I'm yet to watch it though. I'm yet to watch it though. So don't tell me what happened. I, I, I look there firsthand. I hope I hope I know what happened. Right. Yeah. There you go. And I haven't watched it either because I'm doing a live radio show. So you and me and everybody else who's listening probably has seen it or maybe they're watching it right now. I don't know. This, uh, is, this is this is great stuff. We're we're right on top of it. <laughs> exactly. So look, I promise I'm going to talk some actual football with you, but I wouldn't be. <laughs> doing my job if i did not ask about yeah. some of the extracurriculars gotta talk antonio brown and helmet gate what in the world happened there and i guess he was back at, at, at practice today at least walking around right yeah he was walking around he made sure that the tv cameras and all the local media saw him he, he needed to make it uh wonderfully uh, apparent to everybody that he was there and he was in napa because no one knew where the hell he was uh and you know drew rosenhouse's agent was there because he too uh has never seen a camera that he doesn't like it was all a a fun orchestrated bit of extra nonsense and that's pretty much all the antonio brown era in oakland has been It, it seems uh it seems like a reality show we're getting super meta with the fact that hard knocks is there antonio brown's putting out hype videos every other day anytime a news story breaks antonio brown has some uh, weird piece of content that he posts on his Instagram or on his YouTube page. It's all just so very extra. And um, at some point, this guy who is unquestionably one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, and, and certainly uh, in the you know he's in that top three, top four with Thomas and Evans and, and Julio Jones, and then it's probably Antonio Brown. Mix him up however you'd like. Like the guy's gonna have to get on the field one, so his feet are gonna have to heal. He's going to have to get a helmet that's approved, and then three, he's going to have to uh, he's going to have to show that he's worth all of this trouble. Because right now, everybody who, who's looking at what's going on in Oakland, up in Napa Valley, in the in training camp, is thinking that the Steelers uh, were, were right to give him away for next to nothing. Yeah, it seems that way right now. I have asked so many people here, the former players, uh, Dieter, that would you, regardless of the talent, would you like to play with this guy? Have any players said anything at all about this? I, I just I can't imagine oh, yeah. that they're anywhere happy about this situation. Well, they're all they're all befuddled because it's it's so weird. And, and listen, I'll, I'll be honest here. We can all relate to a certain level of particularness when it comes to our equipment as professionals, right? Like I like to sure. use certain word processors and things like that. Like it doesn't it doesn't stun me that Antonio Brown is uh, favors his helmet. Like, of course he does. That's the thing that's on his head, and he's grown attached to it. And um, It's just the whole process of saying, I'm going to challenge this ruling. I'm going to make this messier than it needs to be because Antonio Brown always makes it messier than it needs to be. And his teammates are looking around like, man, uh, we know you're, you're the real deal. But um, listen, when he got when he got traded from the Steelers, all of the dirty laundry that the Steelers had kept under wraps more or less, came out and one of the big issues was that he wouldn't pay attention in meetings and a big reason that the Steelers got rid of him if not the main reason was that Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger's relationship broke down because Roethlisberger called out Brown 
for not running the right routes. And they didn't, he didn't run the right routes because he wasn't showing up on time to meetings and he wasn't paying attention to meetings. So anytime they put in a new play, he didn't know it. So he just freelanced, but he's Antonio Brown. So he's usually open. And then he's complaining that he's open, even though Ben Roethlisberger is looking at a spot and he's going to throw it to Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown's not there. And if you remember early in the season, there were a bunch of interceptions and everyone thought Ben Roethlisberger was washed up. No, maybe it was a little bit of give and take there with Antonio Brown. So it, 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 all these Raiders are, are looking around and saying, okay, we know that this guy is a future Hall of Famer. We know that he is in, in unbelievable shape, feet notwithstanding. This dude is, is a super freak athlete. He works harder than maybe anybody in the NFL to stay at that level. But they're wondering when he gets on the field, what the hell he's going to do because he hasn't been in meetings because he was going to find a foot specialist and God knows where. He wasn't paying attention to meetings really when he was already there. He's got a brand new offense, a brand new quarterback. Uh, and a bunch of stuff to learn, and, and there's a legitimate concern that he's going to be able to learn it all or that he, he thinks he needs to learn it all. People are fascinated to see what happens when he actually gets on the field because ultimately that's what he's paid for. All of this stuff is extra, but, man, um, he's not doing himself any favors here. He's going to have to put on a crash course. Yeah, it's uh, this circus certainly is fascinating to watch from the outside. And I always wondered, Dieter, if this helmet issue was a, a – concerted effort by Rosenhaus and him to kind of obfuscate the the frostbite feet issues was that maybe in play here because I don't think does anybody know exactly where he is on the recovery from the frostbitten feet yeah he says that he's getting better every day there there is a full expectation it's just a skin injury it's not to the point where he's actually like going to lose a toe or anything it's not it's more emaciated feet it's a big difference there was a I don't know. You can get into it levels on levels. Basically, his skin is peeling off of the bottom of his feet. He needs new skin for the bottom of his feet. So that will come in time, as all skin does. Um, they expect him to play in week one. But um, I don't know if this was some sort of smokescreen as to not pay attention. Like, ultimately, there's a very easy narrative that you can create about Antonio Brown. Like, okay, he, he got his feet injured in a cryotherapy chamber. Like, that sucks but he could be a victim in some ways to that, 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 you know, some doctor or something didn't, didn't mm-hmm. take care of him right. Or wherever he was like, it, he can be a, a cautionary tale to the dangers of this. Like, yeah, it's a little weird, but I don't know if anyone's like, wow, what a bad guy. There's nothing malicious about doing that. But then the helmet thing adds on top of that. And you're just like, wow, all of this stuff is so blown out of proportion, <laughs> uh, mainly because of Brown, mainly because of Brown's track record. Everyone's looking for him to do something wacky. Now he's doing something wacky. And he's all, and he's just amplifying it 10x with his tweets and his Instagrams and all this stuff, and it's just like wow. Like uh, I know that calling wide receivers divas is such a, a tired trope, but this guy's bringing it back almost single-handedly. <laughs> it's fascinating stuff here. Talking to Dieter Kurtenbach in our Inside the NFL Training Camp series, he covers the Raiders for the Bay Area News Group and the East Bay Times. Yeah, let's talk some actual football here. Whew, that was that was uh, that was a lot to get through. Uh, Derek Carr's in the middle of this five-year, hundred twenty-five million dollar deal. I thought last year, Dieter, and maybe you can correct me here if I'm wrong, because you were there, I wasn't. Just I had one of yeah. his better years from the outside looking in, even though the team kind of imploded on the field. What's your view on Carr? And is is Gruden and Carr are they in sync at camp this year? Yeah, I don't think that there's any reason to think that they're not in sync. I think they were in sync last year. They had a terrible offensive line, and Derek Carr is not someone who can operate in front of or behind anything that's not an almost impeccable offensive line. We saw what happened in 2016 when he had arguably the best offensive line 
in the NFL, and he almost won the MVP. And ultimately, that injury, I think, lingered longer than the good play from that season because ever since then, and maybe this has something to do with his brother basically getting knocked out of the league in a literal sense behind a terrible Texans offensive line, he has felt phantom pressure. And every hit that this guy takes as the season progresses, he just breaks down a little bit more mentally. He can make all the throws. If we were starting a seven-on-seven NFL team, I would be hard-pressed not to take Derek Carr number one I saw him make like a 45 yard out today it was incredible he has an arm and a half and it's accurate the problem is he doesn't he just he doesn't operate well when he's under pressure and the pressure seems to mount uh, artificially as the year goes on but you look around with what the Raiders got the offensive line should be better I don't know if that means they're going to be any good but they should be better he got sacked 51 times last year he has Brown uh, so he added a premier wideout. I think Tyrell Williams is really, really good. I like their tight end situation. They're going to have a couple of decent slot guys in J.J. Nelson and Hunter Renfro has been really good in camp. And Gruden's offense is built for him to get little dink and dunk passes. Like, he's not going to have to do too much. He's not going to have to push the ball too far downfield unless the situation calls for it. So he's going to have really good numbers. Basically, this entire season is built to see if Derek Carr has the goods or not. Because if he doesn't, they're not taking him to Vegas. And they're going to take their two first-round first draft picks next year. One for their own, which probably be pretty high if Derek Carr doesn't have the goods. And the Bears won. And they're going to do whatever they can to get the quarterback so that going into Vegas, they can sell season tickets under the premise of, hey, Tua or Justin Herbert or whomever is going to be the future of this team. We're going to have a quarterback, and John Gruden's going to coach him up because we all know that the guy they had before, number four, wasn't good enough to get the job done here in this brand new stadium. Hmm, interesting. Uh, you mentioned the tight ends there, how deep you are. You had Jared Cook last year. Everybody seems to be pretty mm-hmm. excited here this year with Jared Cook. He had a career year in Oakland last year. What were your thoughts on yeah. his play last year, uh, Dieter? Yeah, Cook's an outstanding tight end. I mean, I think he's one of the top 10 tight ends. He's a class guy. Uh, it, it was a great signing by the Saints. Ultimately, I think the Raiders felt like um, what they, they didn't necessarily want to put too many of their eggs into the tight end basket. They had a couple of young guys that they wanted to give more opportunities to. Uh, this Waller kid that they have, they, they put some weight on him since he came over from Baltimore. And uh, he is stupid athletic. And as the league gets less and less physical and maybe smaller and smaller on the defensive end, it creates a really interesting opportunity uh, for the tight ends. They, they don't have to be big hulking guys who necessarily necessarily can block in line. They're, uh, they could be a little bit smaller, and, and maybe that, that's something that uh, the Raiders will show off a little bit more this year. But I, it wasn't because Cook was in any way a bad player or a bad guy in the locker room. He was nothing but class both on and off the field. I, I think that the Raiders ultimately just decided that they maybe didn't want to pay him his market value, where we heard that before with the Raiders. And two, uh, they wanted to give some of these younger guys a chance. And and, and, in training camp, looking at it, it, it's not a ridiculous premise to to think that, hey, maybe two or three of these guys is a better option than than just having one really good one. I always like to end these Inside NFL Training Camp Series talking about expectations and what we're we're going to expect to see from these teams on the field this year. Final season in Oakland. Look, John Gruden's not going anywhere. Nine more years on that contract. How (laughs) good are the Raiders this year and are they actually rebuilding into something that's going to be competitive on the field well they, they it remains to be seen if they're rebuilding into something that's going to be competitive on the field because um, they are so early in the rebuilding process you can argue that last year was year zero and this is the first real year of the rebuild they had to tear it down before they could start building it up so uh, some of these young guys that they got 
uh, high character guys. You like the makeup of them. You think that they have the talent long term, but ultimately it's going to take them a while. They're not going to be immediate impact players. And I, I really just don't think so outside of maybe Jacobs, the running back, who's going to be more or less the bell cow. We'll see if he can handle that this year. Um, this team has six wins or fewer written all over it. Uh, perhaps the offense is good enough to, uh, to make a lot of games interesting. Maybe Derek Carr's good enough to get them over the hump. He has certainly shown some magic before, but uh, man, this defense is going to be real, real bad. I'm telling you right now, I would be shocked if they weren't the 32nd ranked defense in the NFL points, yards, whatever you want. Um, They only had 13 sacks last year. I'm having a hard time seeing where they're going to get more than 15, maybe 20, 20 was still 10 fewer than the second worst team in the NFL. They're not going to get to the quarterback. The secondary isn't good enough, and that's probably the strongest part of the team. And they got three linebackers that they're going to play in base, and I bet they play a lot of base because there's a lot of smart offensive coordinators out there. Those guys are sitting ducks. They might be the three worst coverage linebackers in the NFL. The Raiders are going to give up 50 points far more frequently than they're going to score 50 points. And and ultimately, they're going to get some teams by just having a good offensive day and other teams maybe not wanting to come out west or whatever. But with their schedule and everything they got going against them with, with that defense and uh, who knows with the offense, it, it's really hard to see them drafting outside of the top 10 when the year is done. He's Dieter Kurtenbach. Great stuff from him. At Dieter on Twitter, covers the Raiders for the Bay Area News Group, Mercury News, and East Bay Times. Dieter, really appreciate the breakdown and enjoy the rest of camp out there. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, there he goes. Hard Knocks tonight. You can catch up well, on HBO, probably like I will, a little bit later tonight. Back after this, wrapping up, well, hour two. Still one more hour to go on the last lap. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.